everybody. Proverbs chapter 15 this morning. Proverbs chapter 15. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll go ahead and get started. Lord, good to be here this morning. Excited to see what you have to say in your word today. We pray that your spirit would teach, we would listen. Help us to keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you in all ways and all things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all things in your name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 15. We're going to do half the uh, chapter day in 15. There's a lot to say in here, and I don't want to rush through it all, and I'll make sure we get everything covered. And as always, we try to find the key verse that really kind of sets the scene for the rest of the chapter. And the key verse here in Proverbs 15 is going to be in our verse 24. The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. I want you to keep those two words in mind. The idea of life and hell. Now, in the Old Testament, when it mentions the word hell, it's not like necessarily the word hell that we're thinking of, the eternal abode of those that are not saved. It's carrying the idea of the death and the grave there. Still carries that idea of God's punishment. But death and grave, and I want you to just remember those two words, life and death. Every choice you make in life is that. It's a choice of life or death. It really is. Now, you may not think it's literal, mortal life and death, but it can also mean spiritual as well. The actions you take are either going to take you deeper in your walk and relationship with Christ, life, or it's going to take you farther away and away from your walk in Christ, death. Please remember the purpose that Jesus came. He came to save us from our sins, to God be the glory. He summed it up in John 10 by saying this, The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that you may have life and have life more abundantly. The enemy wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy everything. And Christ says, I want you to have joy, abundant joy. Paul then in Romans 6 says this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, you see the idea of death and life. I want to build on this, if you would, please. Go with me to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 is probably one of the great passages in the Bible dealing with this idea of life and death, life and the grave. And I want you to start thinking as we get ready here to read Deuteronomy 30. Am I in life or am I in death? Are the actions I'm taking taking me deeper into spiritual life with Christ or is it taking me into spiritual death away from who Christ is? Take a look here at Deuteronomy 30. Pick it up with me in verse uh, 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Don't overcomplicate this. Life and good, death and evil. You get to make choices today and for the rest of your life. You get to choose what words come out of your mouth. You get to choose what your mind dwells on. You get to choose the actions you take. And that means either life and good or death and evil. You get to choose that. Choose life. Verse 16. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. You want to choose life? Walk with God. Walk in his commandments. Walk in prayer. Walk in worship. Walk in the spirit. Choose life to walk in it. What's the other side to this? Verse 17. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land when you cross over to the Jordan to go and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. 
that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Choose life. That's going to lead you deeper into your walk with Christ. That's going to give you a better heavenly mindset. But if you choose to walk in discouragement and death, if you choose to walk in bitterness, if you choose to walk in anger, what do you think the result of that's going to be? That's going to affect you physically. That's going to affect you emotionally. That's going to affect you spiritually. One more passage on this foundation before you go on. Go with me now to Romans 8, please. Romans 8. As you're going to Romans 8, I want you to think this through. Am I in the flesh or am I in the spirit? Am I walking in life or am I walking in death? If you are walking in that spiritual death, that is going to affect you in many ways. If you're walking in spiritual life, that's going to bless you in many ways. We'll get into more detail what it looks like to walk in life or death. But once again, I want you to see the black and white of this. I want you to see the positive, the negative of this. Romans 8, now let's start in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. How is that? That verse is just so great. What do you think about? If you think about the things of the flesh, verse 5, if you set your mind on it, That's where you're going to be. If you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, that's where you're going to be. So what kind of controls your thoughts? If you're constantly thinking about yourself, getting ahead in life, really what you're making is yourself your own God, making yourself an idol. Maybe you're always walking in past hurts and you just keep replaying conversations in your head and you're walking in bitters and anger and hate. Well, that's where you're going to be. Or you could walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that gives joy, that gives peace, that gives life. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded, to be fleshly minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. I have people that want to come talk to me and they're flesh, they're minded, fleshly minded, carnally minded, and they wonder why they're walking in spiritual death. Then you have people that are spiritually minded walking in life and peace. Now, you may stop right now and say, okay, but you don't know what I'm going through. If you knew what I was going through, you would understand why I'm walking in the flesh, why I'm thinking about these things. And I usually respond to that. If somebody says, you don't know what I'm going through, I usually say, you don't know what I'm going through. We don't know what each other is going through. But I can choose life. I can choose spiritually minded life and peace. I had a situation that happened recently. I had somebody contact me, and it was a rough situation, a very rough situation. And it looked very dark, looked very dim. We stopped, we prayed, we gave verses, gave it over to the Lord, followed up with them a couple of days later, and they sent back this text just full of scripture, full of joy, full of, I went and read Job, and in Job it says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be in the name of the Lord, and I'm going to praise God no matter what happens. That person chose life. That person chose to be spiritually minded and had life and peace. Their situation did not change. They changed how they looked at it. That's what we're trying to decide today. What are we going to look at it? Look at seven. Because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is enmity. It's fighting against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are walking in the flesh, walking in the death, walking in the grave, walking in hell, you can't please God. You will not have the joy and peace that you want in this life. You can't. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Choose life. 
Think about what you think about. Decide, am I in the flesh or am I in the spirit? Am I choosing life or am I choosing death? Now, if you don't know, let's go back to Proverbs 15 and get a little bit more on this now. Now that we've laid the foundation of life or death and we go back to our verse 24, the way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell, the grave, death below. Let's choose life. The Lord knows what I'm choosing. Take a look at verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Verse 11. Hell and destruction are before the Lord, so how much more the hearts of the sons of men. The eyes of the Lord, verse 3, are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The Lord knows. He knows everything I think. He knows my motives. He knows my actions. He knows knows me better than I know me. Now, that thought will do one of two things for you. If you're spiritually minded, that brings such a peace and joy that God will never leave you nor forsake you. That as a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That wherever you go, you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, knowing that your Father, God, is watching over you. Now, the other side is this. God knows what I think. God knows what I'm doing. God knows my motives. As it says in the book of Hebrews, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So are you encouraged by the Lord seeing and knowing everything, or does that scare you? I remember years ago, uh, someone came up to me at church, and they, and they kind of said it like this. They said, uh, hey, saw you and Dawn in Walmart the other day. And my first thought was, what, what was I doing? <laughs> you know, were we, were we like throwing things at each other, arguing? I don't know. My first thought was, what did I do wrong? It was not peace and joy and love. So if you read verse 3, the eyes of the Lord in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good, I hope that blesses you and say, God, thank you for never leaving me nor forsaking me. Lord, thank you for watching out for me. Lord, I love you and I praise you. Verse 11, hell and destruction are before the Lord, so how much more the hearts of the sons of men. Yes, Lord, look at my heart. My heart desperately wants to serve you. My heart desperately wants to love you more. I want to be a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better man of God. I want to be a better person. Or is it, Oh, Lord, you know my heart. You know why I did it. You know my anger. You know my bitterness. You know all this. He does. And guess what? He still loves you. And he wants to work with you. He wants to mold you. He wants to shape you. He wants to, Deuteronomy 30, have you choose life. So that is our foundation. And I can't make you choose life. I've learned over the past 20 plus years, some people want to choose death. They want to walk in anger, bitterness, hate, disappointment, despair, depression, discouragement. They want their life situations to control their joy. I don't know why we'd want that, folks. Let's choose life and let's stop and say, Lord, you are the one we're serving and we're going with. Now, now that that foundation has been laid, how do you know whether you're in life or death? Well, the simplest way to find out whether you're in life or death is by the words that come out of your mouth. You don't need to turn there, but Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You want to get a glimpse into someone's heart, just listen to their words. Matthew 15, that we've quoted a lot, out of the mouth proceeds the thoughts and intents of the heart. If I talk to someone who is constantly walking, once again, in anger, bitterness, hate, whatever, I see their heart. If they're harboring unforgiveness towards people, I see their heart and their walk in relationship with Christ. Because the Bible makes it very clear to me, if I've been forgiven by Christ, I should be able to forgive anybody. 
If I see somebody now with their words or joy and peace and look at what God's doing, look how God's moving, I see their heart. Words reveal what's going on in our heart. The power of words. That is the greatest example to know whether you're choosing life or death. Go with me to James 3, please. James 3. I want you to think about your words. I want you to think about what comes out of your mouth, how you speak of other people, how you speak of your Savior, how you speak of God, how you direct the conversation. What do those words look like? James 3, verse 1. We have made reference to this chapter many times in our study in Proverbs. I want us to actually go now and and understand it and read it. James 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. That's something that hits me. There's a stricter judgment for me teaching. I've said with you many times before, whatever I teach, I need to live it beforehand or I need to live it afterwards. I need to make sure I'm putting into practice that what I teach. And the reason this verse is right there when dealing with the subject of words is take a look at verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. Perfect man, mature man, complete man. The Bible says if you want to know where you're at spiritually, how mature you are in the Lord, take a look at your words. Listen to what comes out of your mouth. If you are speaking truth, if you are speaking love, if you're speaking joy, if you're speaking peace, then you know you're spiritually mature. If your words are not words of life, your words are words of death, and you're walking in anger, bitterness, whatever, the Bible just said right there, that's not maturity. Our words determine whether we're mature in the Lord or whether we're immature in the Lord. So with that now, what does it mean when we talk about our words? Verse 3, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. One match can destroy an entire building. One word can destroy things. It can destroy marriages, it can destroy relationships, it can destroy lives. The power of words. Choose life, not death. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles. You've heard me use this point before, but it bears repeating. The kindergarten phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not true. You come up and break my bone, it will heal. As a guy, you give me a scar, I'll show it off. I'm proud of it. My boys love bruises. They love scars. They love it. Kenan got a broken foot one time, and to this day, it was the greatest day in his life. (laughs) Words we remember for decades. I remember what you said years ago. I remember that one comment. I remember that one phrase. And my mind will bring that back to me when I don't want to think about it, and the enemy will use that. Be careful of your words and how great a fire they can kindle. Look at verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. Literally, when someone does not control their words, they are spewing forth hell fire. James goes on to say a little bit later here in James chapter 3, it's demonic wisdom when it's in the flesh. Think about the words. Are they hellfire? Or are they words of life and encouragement? 
Let's keep going here. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. I'm assuming that you were here for worship. You sang those songs. I assume if you didn't even sing them, you at least thought of the words as they were being sung. But then yet we'll go home and say unspeakable things to our kids and to our spouse and to our neighbors. We'll go to work tomorrow and we'll change the way we speak. Verse 9, with it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. The power of words and words reveal our spiritual maturity in the Lord. Now jump back to Proverbs 15, please. Let's put this into practice now. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You've seen that. Somebody says something. Kind of rubs you the wrong way. You say something back. Then they say something back. And next thing you know, tension's just building up. A soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. They say something they shouldn't, you respond with soft words. They want to elevate the fight, you don't. You keep it down because you are elevating softness, wisdom. Take a look at one and two. You either can have harsh anger, foolishness, or soft and wise. Now what happens with this is this. They started it, right? That's what my boys say. But I also hear people in their 40s, 50s, they started it. Why well, wouldn't have said anything if they wouldn't have? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're here this morning and you're born again, which gives you self-control to once again watch what you say to choose life, to not choose death. Because what we want is verse 4. A wholesome tongue, a gentle tongue, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness and it breaks the spirit. Somebody wants to argue, you don't argue. A soft answer turns away wrath. Do you know how hard it is to argue with somebody who doesn't want to argue? It's near impossible to argue with somebody who does not want to argue. You pray. You seek the Lord. You can feel the tension building. Dawn and I run into this in, in our marriage. Sometimes there's a conversation starting and we stop and say, okay, we've we got to pray here because this is, this is getting tense. We can feel it building up. And what happens is in that moment of flesh, you're no longer worried about representing Jesus Christ. You're worried about winning an argument. You're no longer thinking about eternity at that moment. You're thinking about how can I hurt somebody with words just like they've hurt me. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Check your motives. Check your heart. Are you the person that in the midst of that harshness you say, no, I got to win. No, I got to make my point. No, I got to. You're not representing Jesus no longer at that time. You're no longer representing hopesomeness and gentleness as it says in verse 4. Well, this is what I hear. I made a little list of things I've heard over the years, things I probably have said as well. Well, I won't be walked all over. Well, I won't be taken advantage of. I won't get pushed around. I'll fight fire with fire. Sometimes you've got to bully a bully. Sometimes you've got to stand up for yourself. I won't let them get away with that. There's a lot of eyes in there, isn't there? At that point, we're no longer representing Jesus. We're representing ourselves. Jesus said in Matthew that he asked us to be like him. Take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is gentle and meek. Jesus said, I want you to be gentle and meek. Here's the problem with gentle and meek. 
Those are not looked at as compliments in our society. If somebody came up to you and said, hey, how would you describe uh, your pastor? Oh, Pastor James? Gentle and meek and really handsome. But, you know, gentle (laughs) and meek. I don't know if that would come across the way you're thinking. Oh, you have a really gentle, meek pastor? Yes. Now, from the biblical side, that's like the greatest compliment you can tell people. Because Paul said in Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. Jesus said, be meek like me. The problem is we do not think of gentle and meek as compliments. I looked this up. I got the printed off the definition of meek. This is the definition of meek. Not violent or strong. Deficient in spirit and courage. That's the way the world looks at meek today. Deficient spirit and courage. You have to get through the definitions to get to the biblical definition. Enduring injury with patience and without resentment. That's Jesus. Jesus was not deficient in spirit and courage. Jesus was strong. But Jesus' definition of meek, enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Can you be meek and gentle in every conversation you have with people? Let me again, let me repeat. Well, I won't be walked all over. I won't be taken advantage of. I won't them get away with that. I won't get pushed around. I won't. I will fight fire. No. I'm going to be a representative of Jesus Christ in every interaction I have with my words because I am accountable to my words to the Lord. I'm not here to win arguments and fights with people. I'm here to represent Jesus. And that means gentleness and meekness in how I do it. Go with me now to Philippians 4, please. Philippians 4. This is a great passage to show you the importance of the context before it and after it. Philippians 4. Take a look at verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. That's the verse we're quoting. Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. That's a great memory verse. Probably already got it. Let your gentleness be known to all men. That word gentleness is a really interesting word in the Greek. carries a lot of different meanings. Gentleness, moderation, reasonableness, patience, mildness, this idea of just this graciousness. It's a beautiful word. That's how we're supposed to be known as Christians. The problem is we almost look up to people and we feel that sense of of pride of being the tough guy. Uh, You don't want to mess with him. Man, I saw him the other day at work. He just chewed somebody. And we almost have this awe of people that just speak it. And they speak it strongly and straightforwardly. And what happens is they're tough. And you're like, oh, you don't mess with them. Then you get Jesus. That let your gentleness be known to all men. Be meek like me. And some of you may stop at this point and say, okay, I, I've tried the gentle approach. It doesn't work. I always find that fascinating. That you found out that God's word doesn't work because it does the problem is i just have a whole lot of flesh and the reason sometimes i'm not gentle the reason i'm not meek is because of life i've gone through back up here let's get the context of this verse jump back to philippians 3 verse 12 not that i've already obtained or i'm already perfected but i press on that i may lay hold of that for which christ jesus has also laid hold of me Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If I want my gentleness to be known to all men, verses 12 through 14, I've got to put the past behind me. People's past sometimes keep them from being gentle. 
What happens is they came up in a harsh environment. So since they came up in a harsh environment, they have learned to fight fire with fire. Maybe they came out of bad relationships, so therefore they speak ill of any type of relationship. Maybe it didn't go well with raising their kids, so all kids are awful and bad. All parents are awful and bad. All jobs are awful and bad. Everything is negative. Everything is bad because their past has determined their future for them, and they are not going to walk in gentleness and meekness. I got pushed around when I was a kid, and I will never let anybody push me around again. My first marriage was so awful, I said I will never let somebody do that to me again. That's a lot of eyes again. We're not focused on Jesus Christ. We're focused on ourselves. Let your gentleness be known to all men. My past does not dictate my, what happens now. What about the next one? Jump ahead to 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Remember that. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. 19. Who set their mind on earthly things. 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. If you forget that your citizenship is in heaven, you will not be gentle on this earth, because you will become like the world. And the world fights fire with fire. The world is not focused on gentleness and meekness. The world is focused on the earthly. This is the way you got to talk at work. This is the way everybody else talks. This is the way you got to act. This is how everybody else does it. I I don't watch the news. I I just don't. I follow Israel. I want to make sure I know what's happening in Israel. And people may say, well, didn't you hear about this? Let me guess. Something bad happened. Sinners act like sinners, right? Is that probably what happened? I'm not going to miss the rapture when it happens. I'll be like, hey, the rapture happened. Amen. I didn't see that coming on the news. But you know what? It's going to happen. But sometimes I need to go do uh, surgeries at hospitals. So I'll go do a surgery at a hospital. And you're in the waiting room. And sometimes you're there for three or four hours. And they usually have a TV on. And it's usually set to a news station. So I find these things fascinating. Number one, they just keep repeating the same things again and again. With just a slightly different angle. Again and again. Number two, it's just always negative. It just absolutely is this negative. Now, I'm not stick my head in the sand and not know what's going on. But it's just always negative. It's always death. It gets headlines. I've come to this conclusion, and maybe I'm wrong. But if an individual gets up in the morning, doesn't start their day off with the Lord, and immediately goes to that news cycle and lets that play in their mind on the way to work, if they let that play in their mind while they're eating breakfast, getting ready, what do you think their mindset's going to be for the rest of the day? It's an earthly mindset, and you're going to get worked up at the world. You're going to get angry at non-believers. You're going to get upset at sinners. Because why, verse 20, you forgot that your citizenship is in heaven. And you will not be gentle. So you will not be gentle because you will be like the world, fighting the world, using the words the world uses, and all that. Some of you may disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But that's just what I've noticed. What I fill my mind with eventually affects me, and that's what I become like. So I want to be like Christ, walking in gentleness and meekness, realizing, verse 20, my citizenship is in heaven. Verse 20, I eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When that happens, I'm more gentle. Because I realize in the whole scheme of heaven and hell, most things don't matter. Let it go. Verse 1, therefore, my beloved, chapter 4, therefore, my beloved, and long for, brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. I implore Yodia, and I implore Syntha, 
to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So if, if I can't get past my past, verses 12 through 16, I'm not going to be gentle. If I'm constantly focused on earthly things, verse 19, I'm not going to be gentle. And guess what? Verses 2 through 3, if I'm constantly arguing with people, I'm not going to be gentle. I don't know what Yodia and Cynthia got into an argument about. I don't know. But Paul had to publicly call them out. Publicly call them out. I know believers that both claim Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I look at verse 2 and 3 and it's like, come on guys, you're, you're Yodia and Cynthia. Get over it. Forgive. I can't forgive them. Why? According to Ephesians, you forgive because Christ Jesus forgave you. So since you understand the depth of forgiveness of what Jesus will forgive you, you forgive other people. Now, once again, where does our mind go? Well, I won't be walked on. I won't be taken advantage of. I won't. Oh, come on. Gentleness and meekness in Christ Jesus. Christ hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I got Yodi and Sintha, which I don't know what they did, but you know what? Call them out. Get over it. Can you imagine getting to heaven? And hopefully there's billions of people there. And you're going around now spending the rest of eternity meeting people. So you get up to him, you meet somebody. Hi, I'm James. Hi, I'm Yodia. Yodia! Philippians 4! Yeah! You had the beef of Cynthia. I read about you. For the rest of eternity. Hey, that's the one that got into the fight. I mean, that's, that's what it is. It's not worth it. That's why Paul tells them, be of the same mind. In the Lord. You and I will not agree on everything in life. I love Dawn more than any other person in this world. Been married 22 years and we can't agree on everything. But you know what we can agree on? The Lord. That's what we agree on. So if you're trying to figure things out with other people, you may not be able to. But you can agree in the Lord on the biblical truth of who Jesus Christ is and what God's word says. And in verse 3, I urge you also, true companion, help these women. You got two brothers, two sisters here that aren't getting along? Help them. Pray for them. Rebuke them if needed. Get involved. Please understand what it means to get involved, to love them. You're trying to help them to forgive, be deeper in Jesus Christ. It does not mean get together with them and let them vent for 45 minutes on what everybody else is doing wrong. That's not helpful. And I hear people say this all the time. Oh, they just needed to get it off their chest. No, they needed to take it to Jesus Christ. Getting it off their chest to somebody else is not going to be as helpful as we think it is. Give them scripture. Give them verses. Point them back towards Jesus. That's what's going to help them. I used to think when I first became a pastor, someone would call me up and we'd have an hour-long conversation. And at the end, they would say, hey, thanks, pastor. I feel so much better. I would stop and say, I'm the best pastor ever. And then we'd repeat the same conversation, maybe later that day, maybe tomorrow. And I start realizing they do temporarily feel better because there is a feeling that we get of offloading it and saying, oh, this person gets me and understands me. That's not necessarily biblically wrong, but we also need to give them the pattern of Scripture and Jesus and say, hey, let's take it back to him and go deeper with him. And let's see change and fruit happen in the long term, not just a short-term little fix. Because I can talk to people and feel better short term, but I want to feel better long term. So teach me how to go deeper in Christ to do this. That's hard sometimes. Does that mean you cut off every conversation? Of course not. The Holy Spirit leads. And sometimes you really need to talk someone through it and give them counsel and advice in Scripture. 
but the point is to point them to a depth of Christ. I, I sometimes do this, and if you've ever received one of these texts from me, don't think I'm being mean or harsh. I hope it doesn't come across that way. Sometimes people will text me a situation, and I'll respond with just a verse. Because I realize that verse already answers everything that needs to be answered. You don't need my words with it. You got God's word right there. And I hope that doesn't come across the wrong way. I texted James and I said, I'm having this problem at work. And only thing he did was sent me Romans 15, 13. Because that's God's unchanging word that does not return void. And it's amazing. Let's help people, verse 3, by reminding them. Reminding them, verse 3, labor with me in the gospel. Let's go see souls get saved. And then verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now I can walk in joy. My past doesn't control me. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm not letting little arguments get the best of me. I'm rejoicing in the Lord always. Verse 5, now let your gentleness be known to all men. Because I can be gentle and meek now because of all these other things. And look at the second part of 5. The Lord is at hand. If I walk in a constant expectation of the return of Jesus Christ, it completely changes every conversation I have with people. And the whole scheme of heaven and hell, it just doesn't matter. Choose words of life, not words of death. Jump back now, if you would, please, to uh, Proverbs 15. You You can choose not to go this route. And verse 18 of Proverbs 15 will tell you what the result of that will be. Verse 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who's slow to anger allies contention. A wrathful man stirs up strife. There are some people that just, by golly, want to fight. I, you can't do anything about that. Romans 12 says, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. I can want to live at peace with people, but some people don't want to live at peace with me. I can't do anything about that. There are some people that want to stir up strife. They live off it. They love it. They love confrontation. That anger is a fire that just keeps fueling them again and again and again. Sometimes it's obvious why. They're hurt by what happened in the past. They're not right with Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a deeper layer and you don't really know. (sighs) Only thing I can tell you is please don't be the person that stirs up strife. Take a look at your words. Are you speaking life? Are you speaking death? Take a look at verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good it is. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth. There is joy when you get a chance to answer somebody. There's a joy when you get a chance to stop and say, I get to encourage you to go deeper in your walk in relationship with Christ Jesus. I like how the New Living Translation says, verse 23, Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Oh, it's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. That's a great prayer, isn't it? Lord, help me to say the right thing at the right time. How are we supposed to know when to do that? Go with me to Colossians 4, please. This is a verse I've referenced to you here earlier. Another message is in Proverbs, but I want us to chew on it together, Colossians 4. I want to say the right thing at the right time. Background on how we got to this, I think I may have shared this once before in a message, but it bears repeating. Um, earlier this year, I got a phone call from uh, a situation that I was not expecting in any way whatsoever. It was one of those things where you kind of think, okay, I've been doing this long enough now. I've dealt with all types of situations. They never dealt with this before and wasn't ready for it. Prayed through it on the phone. God took care of it because God's good. That's what he does. But it really showed me and revealed to me how often something pops up that I'm not prepared for. 
And so I decided at that point, what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to take one meal a week and fast and pray for all the conversations that I'm going to have that I don't even know are coming up yet. Because my phone rings a lot. I get a lot of texts. That's what I do. I don't know what's on the other end of that. It could be somebody with joy. Hey, my neighbor got saved. It could be somebody with sadness. They've experienced loss. It could be a marriage that's restored. It could be a marriage falling apart. I don't know. I need to be ready and prepared to give the right answer at the right time. And sometimes you run into demonic influences that you don't even see coming. That's why Jesus said in the Gospels, some only come out by prayer and fasting. You need to be fasted up and prayed up. So I take one meal a week and I pray over Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Lord, conversations are coming this week. I'm going to be contacted. Help me to know how to answer each one. Help me to have my words always be with grace, seasoned with salt. I know they're coming. I just don't know when, and I don't know what the exact details will be, but I know there's going to be conversations coming that are going to be difficult, and my flesh is going to want to get worked up. Remember back to Proverbs 15.1, a harsh word stirs up strife. I'm flesh. I've lost my temper before out here. I've gotten upset about things, and my flesh wants to get worked up. I don't mind confrontation. So therefore, if somebody wants to get a little loud, I can get a little loud too. If somebody wants to get a little tense, I can handle that. And then I walk away convicted because I didn't represent Jesus Christ. I may have won the argument, but I lost the witness. So it's a battle for me sometimes to say, okay, Lord, I want my words to be with grace. I want my words to be seasoned with salt, and I need to know how to answer each one. I, I cannot stress to you enough, let this verse become a practical verse in your daily life. You are going to talk with people that you don't even know about yet. You're going to have conversations you don't even know about yet. People are going to come ask you questions that you don't even know yet. Be prayed up and prepared to know how to answer each one. And when they come ask you a question, jump back now to Proverbs 15, please. What do you give them? You give them verse 7. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fools does not do so. Disperse knowledge. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge. Do not disperse your opinion. Do not disperse your thoughts. Disperse prayed over knowledge of God's word. I cannot stress that to you enough. Because it is such a prideful thing when somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, what do you think? Wow. They want to know what I think. Of all the people in the world, they ask, What do you think? Wow, okay, now i gotta, I got to come up with a good answer. Because I want them to walk away from this conversation. Tears streaming down their eyes. Amazed with my intelligence that they're going to go rename their children after me because I gave them such wisdom and knowledge from my intellect and life experience. Because it's this pride, I want to be able to do this. No, Proverbs 15, 7, disperse knowledge. I just want to give you God's word that doesn't return void. Think about this for a second. How arrogant of us to express our opinions without seeking the Lord in prayer and being confirmed by his word. Think about that for a second. How arrogant of us to express our opinions without seeking the Lord in prayer and being confirmed by his word. I will listen to any prayed over opinion confirmed by the word of God that people have. But if people come up and just say, hey, I was thinking, you know what I think? Well, why don't you take that thought, go pray over it, Confirm it with God's word, and then let's talk about it. Because we want prayed over opinions confirmed by the word of God. And I want to disperse knowledge. 
it, it can be, it can be a very fleshly thing to be the person that people like to come talk to. If you're going to be that person, if you just have that personality, people say, I, they want to talk to me, and they just start talking. I, I don't understand who, what that personality looks like. That seems to happen to me a lot. Where I'm not making this up, I'll be standing in the checkout line at Walmart, and the person will say, I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, in the two seconds we've known each other, that you obviously like cheese because you bought a lot of cheese. You want to know what I think? And it'll be, we'll be at the park, and my boys will be playing, and someone will come up. And Don will be like, what are you talking about? Do you know them? Never met them before. Well, what do you know about them? I know every embarrassing health issue they have because they told me. So I want to disperse knowledge. Because if you are that person that people like to talk to, there is a feeling of... Wow, it feels good to help people. It feels good to give this. It feels good to give wisdom. Amen. Give them the knowledge of God's word. Give them Jesus Christ. Give them prayed over opinions. And don't be afraid to tell somebody if they come up and ask to say, you know what, I don't know right now. Let me pray over that for a little bit. Can I get back to you this week? You know what, I don't know about that right now. I got some verses going through my mind, and I want to confirm this real quick with some scripture, and let me get back to you. Because I want to disperse knowledge, not my thoughts, not my opinions. So how will I know? Verse 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Study how to answer. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Be in devotions. Be in worship. If you got extra time in the day, say, Lord, I want to invest into eternity here. I'm going to read. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. Because when these conversations come up and these questions come up, I want to be able to give an answer of God's word to people. 2 Timothy 3.15 says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does God's word say? Not what do I think. What does God's word say? I want to disperse knowledge, and I'm going to study how to answer it. And then our last verse for this morning, verse 22. Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Some translation says wisdom in the counsel of many. That is so true. You want wisdom in the counsel of many. But make sure you know you want wisdom in the counsel of many of people that are seeking the Lord. That are prayed over, spirit-led, what glorifies God, what furthers the kingdom. Any article you read online, you can generally scroll down to the bottom and get about 100 comments from people that don't even know what they're talking about. We live in a world today of comments, of people say this, they think this, and you can express your opinion in so many ways and get it out to thousands of people very quickly without even thinking about it. We live in a world today where we can take my phone in the midst of frustration and anger, send off a text and just send it without even thinking and praying about it. Got to be careful. Without counsel, plans go awry. If you're in a situation you need counsel, get counsel from godly people that are going to give you God's word that are going to say, I care enough about you to pray over it. You don't want counsel just from Fred at work. You may spend 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day with Fred, but if Fred's not seeking your good through Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what Fred says. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful in the counsel you receive from people because what I've noticed is people have gone through harsh situations in the past which skews their counsel for today. What happens is, well, I remember when I was young, this happened to me. And once again, I will never let it happen to anybody else. So my counsel is this. Yeah, because 
you're skewed by what happened in the past. You're hurt by things in the past. You're hurt by not having an earthly, excuse me, not having a heavenly mindset. Everything that we went over in the book of Philippians there. What does God's word say? And I'm going to care enough about you to pray over it and give that to you. And well, you know what? If you want to get together, let's sit down. Let's talk about it then. And we'll get the Bible on. We'll say, this is what God's word has to say. Let the brothers minister to the brothers and let the sisters minister to the sisters. And we'll take the time because there's wisdom in the counsel of many. But just be careful with what I think, in my opinion. Pray over it. Back it up with scripture. And let's see what God's word has to say. That's the beauty of this. And when you do that, wow, now I can give the right answer in the right time. Now I can choose the upward spiral of wisdom in life because I'm following what God's word has to say, not just what I think. So the worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song.